Strength does not come from winning. Your struggles develop your strengths. When you go through hardships and decide not to surrender, that is strength. Let's see how many of these quotes I can go through before you uh, can guess who this comes from. If it bleeds, we can kill it. The worst thing I can be is the same as everybody else. I hate that. The mind is the limit. As long as the mind can envision the fact that you can do something, you can do it. As long as you really believe 100%. It's simple. If it jiggles, it's fat. Milk is for babies. When you grow up, you have to drink beer. Training gives us an outlet for suppressed energies created by stress and thus tones the spirit just as exercise conditions the body. For me, life is continuously being hungry. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. I think gay marriage should be between a man and a woman. The best activities for your health are pumping and humping. And if you haven't guessed who it is by now, those are famous quotes by our dear Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's in spirit of our guest today. So welcome, everybody, back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane LeMaster. I want to first say thank you to all of our listeners. Your continued listenership means the world to us. Um, And I want to apologize. We've been on quite a break uh, for the last couple weeks. I came down with the flu again since coming back from Thailand and have just been up and down with sickness and have been unable to do recordings because uh, I have people come over to my house to do them, and I don't want to spread sickness around if I can avoid it. So I apologize to the listeners for not putting out content in the last two weeks. Hopefully you're still uh, on board and still following and still listening. And as always, please continue to like and share all of our posts when we put them up on social media. Please like and share them on your social media. And like and share them in person with your friends and family. Let them know. That's how we get the word out. And you guys are our best referral system to get more listeners. So thank you very much for continuing to listen. If any of you uh, really like the content and want to donate to the podcast, uh, I want to let you know that you can do so. Um, there should be a link at, w- at the bottom of whatever podcast app you're using to donate to the podcast. All donations go directly to the podcast, so you're funding your own listening experience. Uh, I don't take any profit from, uh, from these donations. They all go back into it. So pretty soon here I'll be upgrading our mic systems. Uh, today, Later today I'll be ordering... Um, a GoPro camera so we can start streaming um, some video with our podcast and uploading that to YouTube. That came out of my own pocket, but uh, the microphones um, will be paid for by some generous donations that recently came in. Uh, But feel free to donate, and uh, if you you can't donate, just like and share. That's the best way you can uh, support us. By the way, if you hear some crazy chomping in the background during today's podcast, uh, those are my two dogs. Uh, We went to the dog store today and got them these awesome uh, frozen bison knuckles and so they're just going at them trying to get all the marrow out of the middle of them I'm kind of jealous but uh, if you hear any uh, chomping or grinding noises in the background that's what that is and that's another thing that we'll be upgrading uh, as part of our um, our upgrade around the 40th episode is we'll be getting some professional mics with uh, some of those sound dampening qualities so you won't hear all that background stuff so again Um, That's where all your money goes when you do donate. And again, we've gotten some good donations, so thank you to those who have been donating. As always, we are sponsored by my private practice counseling and consulting company, MindOps. You can find us at MindOps.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. 
Um, that's the best place to reach out to us for any comments or questions as well for the podcast. And that uh, website is sort of the, the central hub for the podcast as well as our YouTube page, uh, the MindOps YouTube page, where we upload a lot of content, sort of breaking down some of the uh, content that we go over in the podcast in greater detail. Uh, so please feel free to check out uh, the website. We are a mobile and eclectic counseling company. Um, we have offices here in Fort Collins, and we work one-on-one uh, -on -one with people. We work uh, with small groups, with businesses, with teams, sports teams, uh, all sorts of people. And uh, we can do sessions either one-on-one -on -one in person, like I said, in, in our office space, we, or we can do them at a distance through um, either the phone or through um, a HIPAA-compliant uh, video chat app. Uh, so if, if you have any need for mental health or for performance psychology or psychedelic integration therapy or addiction counseling, those are all our specialties, please feel free to reach out. Or if you um, have any questions or comments for me or our guests, please reach out through there. Like I said, check out the YouTube channel. That's the Mind Ops YouTube channel. And uh, check out some of our videos. We will be upgrading our ability to film um, some better content for that as well. So your support helps in any way possible. So on to the good news section of our podcast. Today's good news story, uh, as always, comes from the Good News Network. And the title reads, In, fir in World First, HIV-positive woman donates kidney to a fellow HIV-positive patient. I thought this was pretty uh, pretty interesting, and it had been something that had kind of crossed my mind years ago um, when I first started learning about uh, sexually transmitted infections and sexually transmitted diseases that you know, oftentimes these people, um, sometimes, uh, a lot of time, no fault of their own, contract some of these diseases either through blood transfusions or uh, other medical mishaps or something like that. And they have to live with um, not only um, a disease or an infection, but the stigma that goes along with it. And uh, oftentimes these people get stigmatized and can't form meaningful relationships, can't find companions in their life, and they miss out on a lot of great things because of those stigmas uh, in society. So I thought this article was amazing, um, finding that um, people who do, you know, contract these these diseases, and we know very well that uh, HIV and, and AIDS is um, a disease that is uh, way more easily manageable these days. People lead, lead long lives with these diseases and should not be stigmatized. You know, there is um, still... Um, a lot of value um, there, and, and people need to recognize that, you know, these are still people. So I thought that was an awesome article. Um, it goes on to describe um, the woman's journey to being able to donate a kidney and, and her s story about not being able to donate to a friend who died uh, of kidney disease and finally being able to donate. It means the world to her. Uh, so I thought that was really good news for today. Our guest is a very special guest we're having on today, um, our friend Galen, and also my wife Callie is joining us back on the podcast today. Hello. And uh, Galen, it, uh, he has been Callie and I's uh, personal fitness trainer, fitness coach, um, strength and conditioning coach, uh, endurance coach, flexibility coach, all these different things wrapped up into one for the last uh, year or so. Um, we met him through the Colorado State University Rec Center, because Callie and I both go there to work out, and um, we needed a little bit more motivation and a little more direction, and we needed help filling in our weaknesses, so um, we sought out a trainer, and I found Galen. Um, I picked him because he was um, 
it said in his profile he was versed in martial arts and specifically jujitsu. And as soon as, as soon as I saw that, I knew that he would have probably the best idea out of all the trainers as far as what my needs were as a jujitsu athlete. Um, because I'm always looking to improve my own athleticism in my sport. So Galen um, is a lifetime student of the martial arts, and we'll get into that a little bit. He's a USAW certified coach, and um, he's currently finishing up his undergraduate degree in health and exercise science at Colorado State University and has uh, future goals of possibly going to graduate school. Um, hasn't quite decided which program he wants to go into, but very excited for that possibility. So welcome to the show, Galen. Thanks so much for mm -hmm. having me. Um, first question, as always, that I ask all my guests is, uh, you know, the, the podcast title is Conversations with the Mind, and largely this podcast is about consciousness and sharing conscious experience, um, and I really want to get your take on what that phrase means to you, Conversations with the Mind. How does it resonate? Well, two things. Um, I guess the first one being something that I think about really frequently, and that's no matter how well you know someone, you don't really understand how their conversations with themselves go. Hmm. Like, just how they think throughout the day and how they rationalize things. Like, I don't know. You can never really say that you think the same as anyone else. And that's kind of a really weird isolation to live in and kind of realize, I think. And then second, just conversations with the mind, meaning just getting to know your subconscious and fighting through any uh, like guards or anything that you might have in your mind around anything really so like defense mechanisms yeah that's what you mean by guards yeah and we all have those for sure um that's really interesting you know because we all do have that internal dialogue that internal conversation not only in dialogue form but also like this shifting and waxing and waning concept of who we are as individuals and um yeah, at any given point when we're sitting in front of someone else or interacting with someone, we think that people should respond or think through things the same way we do, right? Yeah. Um, but the reality is that each and every person does it differently. Um, I mean, we're all taught a lot of the same things in school and how to like go through a certain math problem and things like that. But still, everybody has different histories, different influences that color that differently. You know, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting and in how you don't really know what someone else is is thinking or how they came up with that solution. I mean, Callie's amazing at um, all sorts of academic things and you're, uh, what, is, what is it called, dyscalculia? Dyscalculia. Yeah. Dyscalculia. So, so it's like dyslexia, but for numbers. Oh. Right? So. Okay. Yeah. And you could, what is that, what is that like? So, um, if I am like looking at a number, let's say it says 832. Mm -hmm. And I see that number and I'm like, okay, 832. And then I write it down. It's going to be like 283. But I can't recognize looking at that, that it says 283. I still think it says 832 or whatever the number was. Um, it also means, like, when I was younger, I had a really hard time reading um, analog clocks because it was really hard to keep it straight in my head, So, which is why now I'm compulsively early to everything, mm -hmm. just to make sure that I'm not, like, messing up the numbers in my head. Um, so that's some pretty 
pretty common side effects of it. It's actually re really rare for it to continue on into adulthood. Hmm. So it's more common with children, but then as you move into adulthood, I think it's only like 3% of the people who actually have it will carry it with them to adulthood. So it like wears off. Yeah. And is it literally like a like a visual thing, like the, the actual numbers in front of you, but your brain rearranges the numbers so you literally see a different number? Or does it process the number differently? It's just, a, I, it doesn't, pro, it's like a processing issue. Oh. So, um, so like people with uh, dyslexia will transpose letters, they'll mix up letters, but they don't necessarily see it mm -hmm. um, because they don't process the change in the letters. So kind of the same thing with the numbers thing. And I also like with math, like um, sometimes I do things really weird. I'll get the right answer. Mm -hmm. For the life of me, I'll never be able to replicate it. And the people grading are like, how did you do that? I don't know. Um, but it's it's definitely weird. Math is not my strong point. So you'll see me relying a lot on calculators. And I'll have to put the problem in three or four times on a calculator to make sure that I'm getting the same answer every single time so that I know that I'm not screwing up the numbers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's, it's a fun disorder. Mm -hmm. I think another... Um interesting thing about not knowing necessarily what or like how other people think is that we can learn from each other in that way too mm -hmm. so like Callie was describing like uh, she's told me stories where she she did this problem in chemistry or something and got the right answer but then the people said like how the hell did you get that and then she'll go into the office hours and show them her process and they'll look at it and be like I have no idea how that worked but it worked mm -hmm. and um so, you know, that's how we discover new methods. That's how we figure out new ways about going things. And we can, like, uh, improve our own psyche and our own conversation and our own concept of who we are and make our problem solving more efficient by learning from other people, like masters, right? Yeah. Like, we do that in martial arts. We learn from people who have already figured out the patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, in boxing, you go to a boxing coach because he's already figured out the pattern of how best to acquire targets and and throw combos and and find openings and your footwork and all that stuff um so we can i love that we can learn from each other in that way too yeah well, that's super applicable to jujitsu as well what do you mean like just the different problem solving mm -hmm. um yeah, every black belt is different yeah like when a like a new joint lock will come up online and you'll get a video and then two weeks later no one throw, like it'll it'll dominate at competitions, and then two weeks after the video goes out, no one's using it anymore because people have already figured it out and in multiple different ways. And so it's just funny to me when that happens because it's so cool to see so many martial arts nowadays aren't really dynamic and they don't really change. But I think that's the strong side of BJJ is that it's it's constantly evolving still, mm -hmm. and so that's why it's I don't know I think that's why it's where it is. That's why that's why I love it the most is because it's. Um... It's infinite. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I consider myself a lifelong learner and a lifetime learner, and I'll continue to strive to learn new things every day, um, even past my education, you know. Um, but if I can get paid to learn, that's even better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but as a lifelong learner, um, that's what drew me to jujitsu is that um, it's something that I can practice into, well into my 80s if I take care of my body. And... On my last day of jujitsu, I'll still be learning something brand new. Mm -hmm. You know, it keeps you stimulated. It doesn't get doesn't get uh, boring in that way. Yeah, has that been your experience too, Kelly? I was just thinking when you guys were talking about that, how many times at jujitsu you're like, oh, I think I just 
found a new move. <laughs> and then you'll get really excited and you'll try it out on Joe or you'll try it out on me or whatever. And uh, it's always really exciting to be like, I think I discovered something new. Because when you're learning jiu-jitsu, you're like, super black and white. Like, when you're starting out, like, this is, like, this is an arm bar. This is a knee bar. This is a choke. Like, but you never, you can't really open your mind to the possibility that there's different variations that you never even imagined before. But then when you get up to, like, higher belts, like purple belt, brown belt, um, it's fun to see the changing of that kind of dynamic of black and white thinking into, like, the possibilities are endless. It's like a whole bright new world where you can just choke anybody out in any possible way you could think of, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And in ways you can't think of. And in ways you can't think I of. I think last Sunday uh, for open mat, I probably rolled like eight or nine five-minute rounds, and in those eight or nine rounds, I think it happened twice where I submitted somebody, and I was like, I've never done that move before. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I just invented that, you know, and they're like, oh my God, this guy's killing me with stuff he, he's never even <laughs> mastered before yeah. you know it, and I love that feeling of like you said just catching something spontaneously and uh, yeah I can like feel my brain growing my brain connections getting stronger <laughs> yeah my brain's growing that might be a problem I think that's what's so exciting yeah we don't want it to yeah my head's already too big yeah nice um so Galen, yeah, I know you're, you've been a lifetime study of martial arts, but I don't really know your martial arts background. Can you tell me like how you got started and tell me about your martial arts career? And Yeah, um, it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, when I was a kid, like really, really young, um, I didn't really do any sports, and I tried out gymnastics. That wasn't, wasn't for me. And in the back of the gymnastics gym that I was taking classes at, there was just this really small uh, karate dojo that was just starting up. And I think my dad recognized that I wasn't having too good of a time in gymnastics. And our thing back in the day was just watching Jackie Chan movies all the time. So he's like, hey, do you want to learn karate? It's kind of like the kung fu movies that we watched. And I was like, oh, you know, small child, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So start off in karate, uh, just continued on in that for... Outbreak? Uh, I think I was in kindergarten. It's kind of, this is a... How old are kindergartners? They're like four or five. Yeah, four or five. That right? I think That's when five? I started. Is it five? It might be five. I'm not sure. Four or five. I think I started when I was four, too. Yeah, but it was... Uh, so continued on through that path in, in Kempo Karate for 13, 14 years. That's um, a long time for karate practitioner. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of, I think, one of the reasons why... I, ultimately ended up just kind of shying away from it but um back to that the same dojo later on once I kind of hit 13 14 they were they had MMA classes and I figured you know what like I have I theoretically have all these skills I should be okay with this um so I jumped jumped in on the MMA classes and they also had Krav Maga so that was a lot of fun and I just kind of that's what I did in high school um Krav Maga yeah so I ended karate with a second degree black belt in that experience with Krav Maga. I never got any of the official levels, but I think I worked through like level two or level three. I don't remember the federation that we were under though, so it's mm-hmm. relatively meaningless. Mm-hmm. And then... All three of us have experience with Krav Maga. It's a great system. Mm-hmm. Um, really pertinent and also pretty dynamic, I think, too. Like yeah, I think it's new... super practical for um, the everyday Joe walking down the street who mm-hmm. want, and someone who wants to learn... Uh, really highly percentage effective skills and learn it fast, right? Yeah. Like Krav Maga, you could take a week of Krav Maga courses 
uh, classes and um, have an understanding of how to defend yourself on the street. Yeah. Right. Whereas jujitsu is more like, you know, you got to spend ten years studying it daily mm-hmm. to get a black belt. You know, um, Krav Maga is a bit, a bit steeper learning curve. Yeah. Or more shallow? Shallow. Shallow learning curve. But very effective. Oh, know? totally. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I remember we, we would learn, like, um, weapons defenses, gun takeaways. I think one of the most interesting ones we learned was a grenade takedown. Whoa, okay. Uh, we learned that just in case someone on a plane had a grenade, then we, uh, we knew how to control... Um, we knew the, the workings of the grenade, how to control the spoon of the grenade, mm-hmm. um, how to secure it in their hand uh, so that it didn't go off. Um, we learned machine gun takedowns okay, for things like that Excellent. for assault rifles. Um, in close quarter combat, we learned a lot of knife stuff. Knife stuff was fun because... Um, you got to knife fight too, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Was, I got poked fun. in the eye with, by a couple of those oh, rubber God. knives. Not, not so fun, but... Uh, uh, yeah, you used to post pictures on your great. Facebook of your black eyes. Of my black eyes. Yeah. Krav. Not yeah. that I was talking or anything. It's fine. Yeah, Krav was good. Um, but go on. So you did Krav and... Yeah. And then most recently in college, uh, with the problem of time and money, um, I found a place here that, uh, that I've been learning Tai Chi at. And that's a really interesting, I guess, paradigm shift mm-hmm. in martial arts practice. Because I don't think it's... It's not as useful as Krav in the street. And it's it's so old that it has I don't think it's been antiquated necessarily but the learning curve to be good at it is just so high that it's like I would never use this Mm -hmm. so I think I've had a lot of conversations with myself of figuring out what the motivation is to do Tai Chi yeah to to learn a martial art that I don't necessarily see the immediate benefit or even the benefit in 10 years I don't think I'll ever be to the point where it'll be useful Mm. But I think it's kind of, I guess it's kind of that practice of, I don't know, an aspect of martial arts is just kind of building that willpower and that consistency of practice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really good outlet for that. And then also it focuses a lot on uh, posture and positioning of the body. So mm-hmm. it's almost like mastering how I can position and you know, move in my body. Well, that's essential for any martial artist. Yeah. And that's really what martial arts is. It's a, it's a mastery of one's ability to control their body in space. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I haven't practiced Tai Chi, but I, um, I respect the original practices. Um, I mean, unfortunately we see all those, um, see all those, uh, McDojo videos uh-huh. of Tai Chi and, and I hate those. It gives a bad name to what Tai Chi really is. Um, and uh, you know, it, as far as I have read, it's an energy work practice. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, um, you know, controlling your energy in a fight or a conflict or my my dogs are both headbutting and pushing around this ottoman around our living room. It's quite entertaining, but. Um, but yeah, being able to control your energy in a fight and in everyday life is super important. You yeah. know, I view Tai Chi almost as um, on the same level as like meditation. Oh, yeah. But a, but a flow, like an active meditation. And it teaches a lot of other things. It teaches posture, like you said, uh, balance and learning mm-hmm. how to, to recognize like micro movements mm-hmm. in shifts in your balance. Um, it teaches you how to breathe properly. 
um, it teaches you how to hopefully clear your mind as you're doing movements. And like you said, the, the self-discipline and consistency are super important and transferable in everyday life too. So, so tai, that was my big dog. <laughs> so, so Tai Chi has a lot of like, uh, these useful things that, um, you know, it gets underplayed. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I like how you said how it's, Compared to the rest of your martial arts career, it's sort of like uh, like a yin yang, like it's like exactly. a balance. It's an opposing um, mindset almost. Um, I think one of the most interesting things, and probably why I have never gotten into Tai Chi, is that it teaches patience mm-hmm. because Tai Chi is not supposed to be rushed, you know. Um, and most other martial arts are about speed and power and things like that, and so forcing yourself to slow down and control these movements um, is an essential component for martial arts and super transferable to jiu-jitsu, especially at the higher levels when when you really slow down. I mean, you look at a, at a brown belt or a black belt match, and it's inches. Yeah. Like once, oh, yeah. once, once you get the takedown and you're set in a position, um, oftentimes the whole match to an outsider doesn't look like it moves a lot, but to someone who knows what's going on, it's inches. It's slow movements. It's slow pressure shifts and feeling the body and being patient not rushing anything because that's when you can make mistakes yeah 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 it's it's been interesting um just to have to continue on that path because Mm -hmm. it like you said you have to go slow Mm -hmm. and so since i already have a decent foundation i'm like man my uh my teacher is 70 years old and can pull a full squat down to the ground with a perfectly upright torso and I don't know. He has a lot of power and a lot of balance. Like I, I literally can't budge him if mm-hmm. I try and push him, and that's that's frustrating to me because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I have all this hard style experience. I could just mm-hmm. go really fast and really hard, but this is one. It isn't what that's about. So how do I kind of build, like you said, that that opposing background in martial arts that I don't have that much foundation in? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting. Um. I often think about that one Bruce Lee interview, actually, when he talks about honestly expressing oneself through <laughs> martial arts. Have you seen that one? Probably, but remind me. So he's essentially, remember. the extended one, he's talking about two of his students that are both, that were both Hollywood actors and how one really likes the the really hard and like really fast aspect of what Bruce Lee was teaching them and really almost kind of more like sparring. And then one just mainly likes forms. And then the interviewer asks him, so who's the better martial artist? And Bruce Lee just says, well, probably the one that likes forms. Not necessarily because he can fight any better, but because he has developed such a level of self-expression in his martial art that he will receive more enjoyment and that'll be better spiritually and all this other stuff. Um, So Bruce Lee was really pointing to the fact that the martial arts, although it was... You know, it is useful in physical combat. That's yeah. not necessarily the only use for it. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's also supposed to be a way to enhance your spiritual life. It's a way to enhance your emotional life, your psychological life. You know, it, it is a, meant to be a tool to really tap in and connect to who you are authentically, really. Yeah. And test yourself, test your mind, test your body. 
Uh, I like that. I like that philosophy. Bruce Lee, like you were mentioning, Jackie Chan was like your inspiration, like yeah. watching the videos, right? Yeah. And old school Jackie, have you ever seen any old school Jackie Chan movies, Kelly? I think so. I'm sure you've had me watch a yeah. few at some point. The old school ones are all, are the better ones, uh, yeah. I think. His newer ones, that when he's got into comedy, and not so much, but um, yeah, he, he's an amazing guy, and he does all his own stunts, mm -hmm. super impressive. Um, so for you, like Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee was my... Um, inspiration or motivation coming up in martial arts and I didn't go the karate route I went taekwondo yeah route, um, there you go and I did that for 12 years um, but all throughout it was Bruce Lee movies you mm -hmm. know it was it was it was uh, I didn't you know I wish I would have picked up on his philosophical side back then and studied it more yeah um, because I really just liked watching him fight and perform on movies you know, and Van Damme and yeah. people like that, right? <laughs> yeah, they're, it's, it's interesting to think about those two because there have been so many action heroes and so many martial artists throughout the years, and it's like, why did those two stick? And I think it's because they both did master in their own way self-expression. Because mm -hmm. like, Jackie Chan started off as a uh, circus performer. Really? Yeah, and then got into martial arts later down the line. I had no idea. So that's why most of his movies are, are pretty... They're closer to like tricking martial arts than they are mm -hmm. traditional martial arts. So, isn't uh, doesn't Tony Jaw have a similar background like that? Like, wasn't he a, um, not a gymnast, but something like that before he I'm got into Muay Thai? Familiar with okay, him. yeah. I thought I heard something like that, um, but that's not uncommon for people to come from like gymnastics or, yeah. or flexibility sports and mm -hmm. get into martial arts and just. I think oh, Van Damme, I think, uh, was a professional dancer at some point, something like that. Yeah. Definitely um, participated in some ballet, things like that. So Yeah. All that fine motor learning right. involved in ballet would be crazy. And control. Yeah. Too. I, um, I've been amazed at, at feats like that, you know, um, ballet dancers or gymnasts being able to hold the Iron Cross. Yeah. You know, just that kind of strength and power. It's amazing. It's pretty unreal <laughs> mm -hmm. so what was your uh what was your karate upbringing like did you compete a lot did you um didn't do a lot of competitions it was honestly a decent amount of just private lessons mm -hmm. where i would learn a lot of forms and then um whenever belt testing day came for whatever reason i would just do pretty well in all the sparring and the grappling and then once <laughs> once i got into mma that was just tremendously increased um mm -hmm. which i think is some somewhat a problem with a lot of traditional martial arts styles is they focus a little bit too much on forms there's of course the balance right but yeah so that was another one of the reasons why i kind of stepped back from karate was it was, mm -hmm. it was just like well i feel like i've learned everything that there is to not everything that there is to learn as far as forms but i've gotten a decent foundation and it's kind of my turn to start teaching myself mm -hmm. to evolve and find your own style yeah. your own creativity yeah um yeah we talk about that a lot in jujitsu at the higher levels is finding your own style um yeah super interesting and callie your experience with martial arts just started when you met me right or did you did um, you take some no well you're you had your krav right yeah did you do anything as a kid like no. karate classes uh, i did gymnastics though okay when i would go to florida to visit my grandparents um because we would be there for like three months like during the day they would put us in gymnastic camp Ooh. because you know when you have three kids that are or two kids that are like in 
10 or 11, like, were rambunctious, so grandparents stuck us in gymnastics. So I really actually enjoyed gymnastics. It was a lot of fun. Um, but just based on my history, I haven't ever really enjoyed being hit too much, so I never really wanted to do martial arts. And then um, when I got out of a really crappy relationship, this guy started following me. Like, he would show up at, like, this place. He wasn't supposed to know where I lived. And he was like, oh, I followed you home from work. And I'm like, what? So I freaked out a little bit. And I was on, like, Groupon. And I found a Groupon for Krav Maga. And I went in. And I think, like, that first day, like, I skinned my knuckles. Mm -hmm. And just, like, I felt like somebody had hit me with a truck. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And it's not even that I was, like, getting hit in the face. It wasn't that. You're only hitting, like, tombstone pads and, like, other stuff. But, like, you definitely, you get a workout. Yeah, it's such a good workout. And it was fun because it's empowering. That's what I think Mm -hmm. makes Krav so wonderful is how empowering it is. Because it made me feel like on the off chance, if my crappy ex happened to show up, that I could, you know, throw an elbow or throw a punch enough to stun him so that I could run away. Um, And then it was after I met Shane um, that... He was like, you know, for, like, women, you know, jujitsu might be worth it to look into. But you did take me to an MMA class first when we were starting dating. And um, we were sparring, and I had never sparred a day in my life. And he kicked me in the IT band. <laughs> and I couldn't walk for three days. And yeah, it was, like, was only that 30%. Was, that was my 30%. I didn't even kick you that hard. And I'm like can't make it up a set of stairs or anything like that so I was like I don't know the MMAs for me but I actually really like jiu-jitsu because it challenges me mm-hmm. as a woman to have a man who's on top of me trying to hurt me hurt me I'm saying that with air quotes you know like choke me or whatever it's, it like hits this very um primal place like where we're really afraid of that but after several months of like crying after classes and being like, why do I suck so bad at this? Like I finally got, was able to move past this panic response that I would get every time I was in class and really start to be able to think Yeah. when I was in these positions, which I think is very, very valuable for women today. I don't, I think if there's any women listeners right now who aren't like training jujitsu, they should probably train in it for about a year. If you're going to do it, train it for a year. You'll probably love it. But Within just a year, you'll gain enough confidence that if some guy was to try to, like, grab you, rape you, knock you to the ground, that you would have enough confidence to at least be able to choke him unconscious, get him off of you, and run away. That's really all you can hope for. And I think that's probably more realistic than Krav, just because if I was to get into a punching fight with any guy, I'm not going to I'm not gonna win. No yeah. matter how much I've been training Krav, I'm just not going to win. So... Um, that's why I really like jujitsu, and that's been my history with it. I haven't done jujitsu in like what two years because of school and mm-hmm. everything. But um, you know, jujitsu is going to be there, and I see people who are like in their seventies, like getting their brown belts or purple belts, and I'm like, well, I'm going to get there one of these days. <laughs> I'm going to get there. I don't care how old I am, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get there. So mm-hmm. it's really just a waiting game right now. And I hope all you guys heard what Callie had to say out there. My dog was slurping water so loudly like right behind her and he did it for like two minutes so I hope you guys heard that that's really valuable information for women too but you mentioned like when you first started and I think this is really common for most people who start jujitsu to get that panic response even on your first day oh yeah especially your first day right but most people most people I would say 70 to 80 percent if they voluntarily do an activity that makes them feel that will never return to that activity 
Um, Maybe. We see so many people come in and try it, and the uncomfortable feeling is too much. They can't handle it. Yeah. So what, for you, kept you coming back? I mean, besides having me and, like, my sexiness on the mat <laughs> to, to drive you oh my in. Goodness. But what what else uh, brought you, what kept you coming back? Because you could have said, you know, no, that's not for me. I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like getting smashed today. I think what kept me going in, um, despite the fact getting injured a couple times, mm-hmm. um, is because it's a genuine concern of mine that, like, I'm on campus pretty late sometimes. And, like, Galen knows this. We get text messages all the time of, like, people getting attacked on campus or women getting groped by strangers on campus. Um, And, like, my biggest concern has always been, like, if somebody attacks me, what am I going to do about it? You know, like, Mm -hmm. you have these really, and I know now that they are really shitty self-defense classes that they offer. It's, like, women's self-defense seminars. And I'm, like, that is all 100% BS. Because nine times out of ten, no man's going to walk up to you straight on and, like, try to attack you. They're going to come up behind you. They're going to try to get you down on the ground. There's no point in trying to kick them in the shins or step on their instep. Because, once again, like, unless you're, like, a bodybuilder woman, you're not going to have enough strength or leverage to do enough damage to a guy to get him to back off. And and the reason I'm saying that is because I have trained in jujitsu. And the amount of pressure that I have to exert to get a man to tap to an armbar is different than the pressure that I have to exert to a woman. So with when I'm training with like Courtney or the other girls, like I can assess like how far I'm gonna pull an armbar before they're gonna tap. Like I just know when to stop. But with men, I don't really know because I, I keep going and I'm like, okay, they're not tapping yet. Should I keep going? And then I keep going and they're still not tapping. I'm like, oh shit! Like I don't know if I have enough strength to pull this off. Um, so when it boils down to like women's self-defense classes, I think they're useless. And I think it doesn't teach women what to do when 200 pounds of men is sitting on top of them and it's really hard to breathe. And your brain is freaking out saying, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? Like you you can't even breathe at that point. So jujitsu gets you past that point of like, after six months of having some guy sit on top of you and choke you out, you eventually get used to it. And you eventually like, okay, I'm getting really sick and tired of having this guy sit on top of me and trying to choke me out. How am I going to change this? And learning that is really, really valuable for women. Without it, like, I wouldn't have the confidence to walk around at night on campus. I still don't sometimes, but at least know that I have, like, a 50-50 chance to choke a guy out and get away from him. And I think that's super valuable for anybody, too, to have that experience and to get through that because... I mean, in everyday life, how many of us feel like the weight of the world is either on our back or compressing our chest so that it's hard to breathe, you know, um, through grief or loss or bankruptcy or whatever we go through in life? Like, sometimes we just feel smushed by the world, and we have to, we have to maybe not be comfortable with that, but be comfortable enough to, to know that we can still breathe that we're yeah. still alive and that we have a decision to make that we can get out of this mm-hmm. if we keep trying, you know, yeah. if we don't give up. And so learning that on the mat every single day helps us to overcome those things in everyday life. Like with your school, right? How many yeah. times have you felt like you're drowning? And then every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every day. Right. And then you you have to draw on that strength that you've developed through challenges like that mm-hmm. um, to say, you know, no, I can get my way out of this. Yeah. I think it's I think jujitsu has a lot of lessons beyond 
just like how to get good at choking somebody. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people don't really understand about jujitsu. Man, if I had a dollar for every time I told somebody that I did jujitsu and they started doing karate moves with their hands, <laughs> I'd be able to pay off my student loan debt. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's, it's just one of those things that you can like, I, and I'm sure it's true across all martial arts, there's lessons that you can pull from your training that can be applied to other aspects of your life. So with jiu-jitsu, it's learning how to think under pressure. Like when you're under immediate threat or you have something really pressing, how do you think? How do you work your way through that? Mm -hmm. um, just because in jiu-jitsu, the threat is always immediate. Mm -hmm. Always immediate. So you have to be thinking four or five moves ahead mm -hmm. of what you're going to be doing or what you think your opponent's going to be doing. So... Um, but I can't really speak to any of the other martial arts and the lessons they impart because all I know is getting choked. Yeah. How did that show up, uh, like life lessons from karate? How did that show up there? Honestly, I always just draw back, like when I get really nervous for something, which I don't really get that stressed anymore after college. That's the interesting thing is after going through college, it's just, yeah, whatever. But yeah, whenever I'm, I'm going up for like an interview or something, I just remember like, you know what? I've made it through two black belt tests, and I've gotten punched in the face quite a few times. Like, <laughs> what could they possibly do to me that's worse than getting the shit kicked out of me? Mm -hmm. So I'm good. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's it's a confidence builder, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like looking back on my... Because I've done a lot of different martial arts. Um, I've done Taekwondo, and Judo, and Sambo, and... Uh, wrestling and Krav Maga and Aikido for a little bit and Jiu-Jitsu out of all those I get way more life lessons from Jiu-Jitsu and maybe that's just because I'm much deeper now into the philosophy behind the art but if I can like remember back to my Taekwondo days I don't remember too many life lessons gained from the more traditional martial arts uh, except for um, self-discipline yeah you know I got self-discipline um, I got, um, you know, an appreciation for who I was as a person and what I was capable of. Mm -hmm. So that was cool because, uh, you know, with a, these small belt accomplishments, you build up your confidence and you feel good. Um, and, you know, some, some confidence going to school and being able to hold my own against bullies and, and talk my way out of it and, and not have to worry too much. But beyond that, um, maybe it was because I was too young, you know, four to you know, however old I was when I stopped, but um, maybe it was, you know, because I'm an adult, an adult now and I can think more deeply about it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't seem to get many life benefits from it. Well, I think that's interesting just because I, I agree with everything you said. I've, I've felt the same things, but I think for a lot of people out there, having more self-discipline or confidence would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe... I take it for granted, I yeah, guess. Yeah, because it's just been, you know, our entire lives, relatively. So all the minute things from now, we already have a solid foundation. So, of course, the fine, I guess, the extra spices on top just make everything better. And that makes sense. You know, most people live their life in a lot of fear. Yeah. Right. In general, fear about any number of things. Um, and 
to sort of, like you said, have that foundation of not fearlessness, but confidence and um, a lessening of fear mm-hmm. because of your, your foundation in martial arts, right? You learn to overcome fear. You learn to face challenges. You learn to step up to the plate with an opponent. And, um, you know, even when you're scared and do it anyway, if you can get the foundation of like, okay, I'm going to feel fear in life, but I have tools to overcome it. I've done it before. I have confidence and evidence that I can do this. Then you get into adulthood and maybe you have a little bit more freedom to explore some of the minutia of what makes us human rather than being totally caught up in a fear-based existence for your whole life. Like I think most people are who don't do martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. So maybe that that's definitely a good transferable um, thing from traditional martial arts. That's interesting. I enjoyed my time with traditional martial arts, um, and I still like reading the history behind yeah. them and, and the original uses and stuff, but I'm getting older, and I don't want to waste what little time I have left, so I'm going to use it. <laughs> I'm going to use it on the most effective system that I can for both physical application as well as for my own spiritual and physical or mental growth you know? yeah you talk about it like you have lived 70 years and you've got like 15 years left i just want to point out you haven't even hit your midlife yet like, well you i know even, so but i do know i do recognize that my life is finite and That's i true. and i want to fill it up with as much useful activity and information as possible and waste as little time as possible yeah that's fair yeah and then we were talking about tony ja earlier yeah yeah um so it turns out he worked as a stuntman for a a muay thai stunt company okay for 14 years and then what he made him famous was there was like this energy drink commercial where he was a stunt double and it required him to grab onto an elephant's tusks and then somersault onto the elephant's back and that's what got him famous. So really, he's just been, he was training in Muay Thai from age 10 to about age 15. And at age 15, he became a stuntman for a Muay Thai movies. Nice. So he had the martial arts background first, mm-hmm. then got all the crazy training, yeah. stuntman. Yeah. And then became an acrobatic martial artist, badass. And yeah. did the scene from Lord of the Rings. What? Did he? Like, what? Well, that's what the scene where oh, Legolas jumps yeah. up onto the elephant thing. Where oh. he grabs the tusk and then he does this like weird backwards somersault up onto the elephant. But it's back. CGI. In the, yeah. In oh, the totally movie. CGI. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. Have you guys, uh, I think Tony Jaw actually does that move that he's famous for in uh, Ong Bak Part 3. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I think You're such a, a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Sometimes. Um, by the way, for our listeners and for you too, um, I'll let you borrow this movie, but. Um, I picked up a movie after we got back from Thailand that we watched. It's probably the most amazing Muay Thai movie I've ever seen because it's just real and raw and really well done. And it's called um, uh, something before dawn. Oh, I, I know. Sure. Okay, I'm gonna have to look it up. Okay, Callie will look it up while we're talking. But um, okay. Prayer Before Dawn, maybe. But I have it upstairs, and I'll let you borrow it tonight. Oh, sweet. But it's brutal. Like it doesn't only cover. Um, the intense Muay Thai culture of Thailand, but also the intense culture of uh, Thailand prisons. Oh, wow, um, yeah. And the Muay Thai culture within the prison system. And um, it's actually a, it's a true story about a Westerner who found himself addicted to heroin on the streets of Thailand and uh, to kind of get away from his jail sentence. Uh, no, he got sent to jail, and that's where he learned Muay Thai mm-hmm. um, because he was just like bare knuckle fighting before that. And he learned Muay Thai in jail to try and reduce his sentence and became like this 
national champion and got pardoned by the emperor because of his Muay Thai accolades. And uh, it's it's an amazing uh, Muay Thai movie. But Tony Jaa is probably my favorite um, screen martial artist of all time. Okay. He's Excellent. not in that movie. I just want to draw that line there. We were just talking about A Prayer Before Dawn, no. which is exactly the name of the movie. You have a great memory. No. Um, but yeah, Tony Jaa is not in that movie. I have a great memory, but it's delayed. It's, it's delayed. on a delay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. You basically nice. killed it. But yeah, it's a really good movie. So while we were overseas, we also learned that Netflix is a whole different ball game when you're in a different country. Totally different um, catalog of movies oh, yeah. really? in different Completely countries. different. And you could, so like movies that we watch here in America, you can't get on Netflix over there. Like they're like banned. Like you can't do it. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, but they have all like, man, the anime section in yeah. Thailand was like <laughs> days long. Like it was just, and I was like, okay, well, I guess it's because we're in Thailand. Um, but yeah, it was, that's how we found that movie is we were, um, cozying up to watch a movie because Shane had the flu. Mm-hmm. So we were like, let's stay on and watch a movie and eat, uh, pho, which was awesome. And that's how we found it. And it was really cool. It's a really hard movie to watch it sometimes because it's like, it's really raw. Yeah. yeah. Like it's hard. It's mm-hmm. definitely hard to watch, but it's awesome. Yeah. It's real. Or yeah. Oh, it's, realistic. oh, it's real. It's real. Yeah, real. So it's real. I'll let you borrow that. Excellent. Yeah, that's good. Nice. Um, So I wanted to ask you, too, like more in line with um, how I know you or how we know you through the personal training stuff. Um, So you have this background in martial arts. And I know for me, uh, weight training was not um, necessarily a part of traditional martial arts so much, Mm -hmm. Uh, at least here in America. We don't train it that much. it's not a part of the systems that most people learn. So how did you get interested in or how did you get into um, this passion that you now have for uh, weight training and personal training with weights? Yeah. Um, well, our MMA kind of training included a lot of just general conditioning, um, probably closer to what a lot of people do in CrossFit except without like the big three, but just like a, a constant working sets of tire flips and running and all kinds of good stuff and I really enjoyed that and I had no idea what I wanted to do after high school so I asked my dad and he was like well you like working out why not produce why not pursue health and exercise science um so I figured that was probably like the best route since I had no other ideas and um kind of around the time when I was 18 and leaving karate and just knew I had to take a break from MMA and a lot of martial arts as I moved into college, didn't really know what uh, what was going on. I also just recognized that I wasn't too comfortable with how I looked physically and wanted to change that. And uh, that's kind of where it started. And then I just got obsessed with it a little while, uh, for a little while. Really just kind of lived, lived watching lifting videos on YouTube, lived watching like pumping iron, and then would just go to the gym. I was just downright obsessed with it big Arnold fan of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little. <laughs> I think he's a good dude, and he certainly changed the world of bodybuilding. And, and the world of politics. Yeah, and the world. Oh he's a legend. God. That's yeah. for sure. He's a legend in both fields, but he also has, as you, some of the listeners heard from the beginning, the quotes, he has some uh, some big-time flaws, too, as we yeah. all do. Yeah, oh, yeah. As we all do. I think but, it's uh, cool that like he came... 
he immigrated from a different country. Yeah. He was able to become a politician. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really cool as well. I just wanted to point that out. That's amazing. I think I think that's honestly one of the biggest aspects that a lot of people kind of glance over, which is that he's done so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, back to your question, and then from there, it I think a lot of my practice in the gym, I work out more than I practice martial arts nowadays, which probably isn't great, but I think it, a lot of it stems from martial arts, just because I have that foundation and that curiosity of how can I get better, what could I be doing differently, you know, what else is out there for me, um, and I think it's a little bit more accessible than martial arts, and that's why it's, that's why I've done it a little bit more in recent years, is I can just go on the internet, because I don't want to be one of those guys that learns martial arts off the internet, I would feel... <laughs> feel like a dork right well it's it's sort of like i mean you can apply that to weightlifting too a lot of people learn their weightlifting technique and stuff off the internet Mm -hmm. right i know that when i was when i first started with crossfit and i've never been a part of a crossfit gym i always used to do it on my own yeah and i would just get on the crossfit website and they would post their daily workout of the day along with video instruction on how to do it and that's where i'd get my instruction and uh, I had no idea I was, you know, doing little tiny things wrong that were causing significant injuries, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's a big problem with jujitsu too, you know, these online universities, and I do like that you can only, I think you can only get a blue belt, up to that's a blue good. belt online. That's After good. that, you... You can do it, you can get your belts online? Yeah, well, you have what? to, you have to um, study online, and then you have to send in video of you doing the techniques uh, to, like, a legitimate... Um, professor and then uh yeah they can belt you and send it to you but you can only become a blue belt and then you have to go train in the gym yeah but um yeah i like that you um that you integrate that so go back to you know part of your your inspiration or motivation to get into weightlifting was this um you know you didn't like how your body looked Mm -hmm. tell me more about that because i think a lot of us and a lot of the listeners out there probably have felt that at some point or do feel that currently yeah um well, I think it's just something that I've always been frustrated with is I've always just been skinny. I'm just a skinny dude. Um, going into college, I only weighed 120 pounds, which is fairly light. And especially coming from a martial arts background, it's like, yeah, I feel like I could mess someone up if I really tried, but I don't look like it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's frustrating. So people would try and mess with me, and I'd be like, I don't care what you have to say. So you wanted, you wanted your exterior image to match the skill set that you had acquired. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that that's mainly it. I was just kind of annoyed, and I liked the idea of being the type of person that works out every day because, you know, I don't think there's ever been a point where I don't know that other people think that's really difficult. What do you mean? Like, I think a lot of people, and this is this is a perfect struggle to have, this is perfectly fine to have, but having that willpower to consistently keep up with working out, monitor my diet, all that good stuff. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think it, it is really difficult. And that's why I love doing it is because it, it, it sucks. <laughs> and I, I just enjoy being that guy. That sounds kind of douchey, but you know, being that guy <laughs> yeah. that does stuff that sucks. Look at my water bottle. I have this sticker it says, don't follow me because you won't make it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's kind of that attitude. Like, I'm going to intentionally seek out the harder things to do, the things that other people quit on, because that is the type of person I want to be. Yeah. But then I also like to extend that into I kind of feel like because it's difficult and a lot of people have trouble doing it, 
that's why I need to do it because I was just a 120 pound kid and now I'm, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I'm happy with my progress in the gym and I was just some skinny kid. So it's, it's just a perfect example that it's for everyone. Everyone can work out. Everyone can change the way they look, change the way they feel. So that's why nowadays I'm just like, no, I need to keep doing this for my clients, for anyone that knows me, just for mm-hmm. life. And you've made it, I love how you've made something you're passionate about, weightlifting and fitness and health, um, and you know that you want to maintain consistency with it, but you and I both know that uh, consistency with exercise is a big issue for most people, and yeah. maintaining motivation and long-term. But I love how you've made your passion also um, the thing that uh, pays you too, you know, because, (laughs) um, it's hard, right. But that helps you to sustain it. That helps you make sure that you're accountable, right? Mm -hmm. If you have clients, you don't want to be the trainer with the beer gut. Exactly. Um, for me, uh, my sobriety is the most important thing in my whole life. Without my sobriety, I don't have my wife. I don't have my dogs. I don't have my job. I don't have any of that stuff. It all goes away without my sobriety. And I have found a way to have a job that I go to every day as an addiction counselor that reminds me exactly why I'm so passionate. It keeps me engaged with um, the the thing that that uh, keeps me moving day to day. It gets me out of bed. Exactly. You know? um, and that's what you've done with personal training. I just love that. Thanks. Yeah. Most people, um, you know, have a tough time finding that, you know, and end up doing a job they don't like uh, just to support the passion that they love outside of work. Yeah. Um, how fortunate are we to be able to have our passion be the thing that oh, we it's, do? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think about it almost every day. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. I get to do this. Thanks. That That's something I um, I posted today on my MindOps um, Instagram, and I hope everyone's continuing to like and share our Instagram posts. Um, but that's, that was a quote that I put up there is that, you know, changing the language inside of your head from, um, I you know, when you wake up like saying, I have to go do this. I have to go to work. I have to go to the gym. I have to cook dinner. I have to, I have to, I have to do these. It just makes you feel shitty, makes you feel yeah. down, makes you feel burdened, make you feel depressed. And instead, just change the language around the same exact thing and say, I get to do this. I get to go to work. Mm-hmm. I get to have a job. I get to cook dinner for my wife. Which, by the way, I'll help you cook dinner tonight. <laughs> I, I get, like where this is yeah. going. <laughs> I get to do these things, and it it totally changes the feeling behind the activity completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the easiest tools to to use. I think the first time you use it, you'll you'll notice a difference. And oh yeah. The more you use it, the easier it gets, and the more automatic it becomes. So that when you start waking up in the in the morning, a couple months down the road. You don't have to change your thought pattern, but it's automatically, oh, I'm grateful for today. I get to do these things. You know, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate that I get to do these things. Um, yeah, I love how you brought that up. Um, but uh, that being said, I, I think that's a perfect segue into, um, into our next section or our next segment. So we'll leave it at that, and we'll be right back with Galen after some words from our sponsors. All right, we're back from our quick commercial break with Galen and Callie. What? Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, first start off this second segment. Thank you to all you guys who who stuck with us to the commercial break. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out to my T-shirt today. Um, (laughs) I'm wearing a T-shirt that uh, has um, 
what's his first name? Vladimir, right? Vladimir, Vladimir yeah. Putin uh, riding shirtless in his camel pants on a white unicorn um, with the universe and lightning bolts behind it. And his mm-hmm. woodland camo as well. Yeah. I think yeah. that's an important aspect. And it is a freaking awesome shirt. Um, I just have to say I'm a partial supporter of Putin. Um, oh my god. And I think that's what my big dog just did was a little Putin. <laughs> um, anyway, that's perfect. I don't know if little accurately yeah. describes what just happened. Um, but anyway, um, I don't agree with everything Putin does. He's a pretty vicious bad man in a lot of ways, but I also think uh, he's pretty badass in a lot of ways in that uh, he's a judo black belt and a practitioner of um, many martial arts as well. And sometimes I've even thought, and give me your guys' opinion on this too, especially yours, Kelly, because I know you don't like Donald Trump. <laughs> but, I, but I've also, I've always thought that, um, you know, maybe having like an effective president or leader like that um, should be based on um, ability to whoop another president's ass, right? Like, like wars should be fought between um like single-hand combat just between a good, the nation's leaders. Exactly. Box. Yeah, because yeah, I think it. that's why I like Putin, because he is a badass in that sense. So, like, Putin versus Trump in a cage match would be hilarious, but we would lose. Oh, Well, so to fast. be fair, let's be fair. I'm pretty sure Trump would be, like, Putin's corner. Be, like, just rubbing his shoulders. Be like, you got this, man. Go fight my battles for me. Hmm. That's That's probably the more realistic situation. So... Was actually interesting. Uh, there was some rumors floating around about The Rock wanting to run for president yeah. in the next cycle. I'd go for him. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like at this point, if we're playing this game, absolutely. Because I would love to see The Rock shake hands with Putin. Because I I want to know what Putin's reaction would be to mm-hmm. just this giant man. This giant man, like, oh shit, this is what America's about. Yeah, we are. Hell fucked. yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. Um, I've also heard Kanye West wants to run for president. No. Nope. <clears throat> no. But uh, all these celebrities are getting on now because Donald Trump kind of opened the floodgates that way. Um, We're literally heading towards that movie that you have you watched. Idiocracy. Yes. Great We're movie. like barreling towards it at breakneck speeds, and it is terrifying. Well, for that matter, Terry Crews. Mm-hmm. We yeah. can just be the movie. Mm-hmm. He could. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea that if we had like a physically fit kind of president and i want to like say that i think we got uh, people say that obama was satan whatever it's fine but i will want to say about michelle obama she did work her butt off to start improving the health of children in schools yeah which i thought was incredible i don't know that that's ever been on a first lady's agenda like she took a very active role of being the first lady and wanting to change things health wise Mm -hmm. for our nation so that I really appreciated. I hope that like future presidents or future first husbands or wives will start to look at that as something that they should be doing because our country is heading towards the most disgusting possible outcome is being obese, being sedentary, um, not getting any type of benefits of exercise, so heart disease, hypertension, all that diabetes oh my god there's children now getting type 2 diabetes which is why they don't call it adult onset diabetes anymore Mm. and it's also why they don't call type 1 diabetes juvenile diabetes anymore because there is legit children who are getting type 2 diabetes Mm -hmm. which is just insane which 
I think ties in. If we can get a president who's like super into physical fitness and also has a spouse, male or female, that's also into it, and we could just get the whole country like doing exercise mm-hmm. all the time. I'm about that life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fireside chats with just aerobics. Yeah, yeah. Right. that would be hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. He does his State of the Union address yeah. while he's doing battle ropes, mm. or like just like speed walking. Like, come yeah. on, guys, let's do this. Let's go for a walk yeah. while I do the. Uh, yeah, that'd be really cool. It's like he, if our president could have like a, a daily um, fitness program, like uh, Richard Simmons, but yeah. from the president. Richard Simmons was such a pure soul. Yeah, I think he I still is. Know. I don't know if he's alive. That's what we thought about Bill Cosby too. That he was a pure soul. I mean, I put, I don't put lump them in the same thing. So we have okay. <laughs> we have the trifecta of awesome. We have Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. We have Bob Ross. Uh-huh. And then we have Richard Simmons. They are the trifecta of awesome. Why? Because Richard Simmons got your physical activity going. Mm-hmm. Bob Ross got your creativity going. And Mr. Rogers got your human decency going. Mm-hmm. They are the trifecta of awesome. And maybe add Bill Nye to that. Get your, get your intellect, <laughs> get your yeah, intellect get your going. Get your intellect on. Yeah, that's totally true. But yeah. the reason I picked those three is because they all seemed so like innocent. And mm-hmm. all they really, truly wanted was to help you be a better, more creative, mm-hmm. more well-rounded person. It could be like the, uh, the Power Ranger team or like, yeah. a, like a Captain Planet. Like they combine their powers <laughs> into this. Oh, Reading Rainbow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Reading Rainbow. Actually, I, I saw thinking... um, Lamar Burton. Yeah. I saw him give a talk about uh, children's literacy, and that was nice. It was mm-hmm. fantastic. I have a Reading Rambo shirt. Ooh, yeah. And, and it's a picture of um, Lamar with his uh, Star Trek getup uh-huh. you know, with the visor, but he's holding an M60 like Rambo. Yeah. And, and it has the Reading Rainbow logo behind it, except it says Reading Rambo. It's I, freaking hilarious. Along the same lines, there's a shirt I've been meaning to get that's just the Credible Hulk. I love the Credible Hulk. He's he just always like cites sitting his there. Sources. Yeah. yeah. Just like reading a book with glasses on. Like that's great. Nice. I like what you were saying though. Um, I think that's I think that's really important. And I remember George Bush Senior, even though I don't like that man and what he did, um, he really pushed um, the presidential fitness awards and things when he mm-hmm. was president. He got Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. on board as the like the fitness guru for the nation, I remember back then. But I also heard in retrospect that there was some controversy or something going on at the time because maybe Arnold was actively using performance-enhancing drugs while he was trying to teach kids or something. I don't remember what the controversy... Do you know anything about that, Galen? I remember uh, which documentary was it. I think it it was uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, Mm -hmm. where they just talked about as soon as he got that position and also the governor position they took down all his pictures at the original golds really yeah so i don't know if they they ever put him back up but when he was when he was in office they took down all the pictures of him when he was juiced up Hmm. so well that's a bummer yeah it is that that seems i mean that happened a little while ago actually quite a while ago but um i see that more and more today too like people getting um like their entire body of work up until a point where they make one mistake gets wiped out. Yeah. Like, you know, we have these great people like Bill Cosby, for example, great body of work. One of the funniest people on the planet, mm-hmm. um, had a, 
in my opinion, a terrific contribution to stand-up comedy and uh, other forms of comedy to black history. I think he was the very first um, all-black family on TV. Yeah. Um, the first black man portrayed as a doctor on TV. Broke down a lot of those uh, cultural and racial wa uh, walls. But, you know, we find out that he did all this stuff and he had been doing all this stuff to women and people for a long time and drugging them. And um, I don't think that someone's mistakes should discredit um, the product that they put out necessarily. Yeah. Like, I still think... He's a valid uh, comedian, and some and his work could be respected. Maybe maybe we can't respect them as people because of those things, um, but we can respect the work that they put out. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I I was actually thinking about that earlier with that one Arnold quote of, yeah, I like him, but I disagree with him on some things. Which quote? The the thing about the gay marriage. Oh, gay like, marriage should be yeah. between a man and a woman. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's that's risky, but. Yeah, it's, it's a huge problem, I think, in our society today, being able to differentiate between the person and their ideals and then, A, their work, and then just... You, it's okay to hang out with someone or enjoy something that someone does, even though you don't agree on all levels. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a huge divide in American society mm -hmm. right now, I think. We have a tendency to label people and put them into such a small box that it closes us off from being able to connect with them or to have any possibility of learning from them. You yeah. know? Um, and I'm just thinking of a really extreme example here for me, right? But uh, I totally don't agree with uh, white supremacy, right? Yeah. But um, I feel like I could sit down with a white supremacist or a KKK member or, a, um, you know, a neo-Nazi and be able to connect with them on some other level, you know, put aside that judgment temporarily and not put them in this one box and possibly, I know that there's some way, something I could learn from that person, you yeah. know, that uh, one thing that we do doesn't necessarily define us. Right. And I think on a certain level too, like putting people in boxes is exactly how they, how people like that get their beliefs, right? Like when you take up an extremist view about a specific group of people, you're just putting a specific group of people in a box. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you aren't on the equivalent level of you know severe racism or anything like that, but you're doing the same kind of habits and the same kind of just mindset things mm -hmm. that a lot of really bad extremists do. So what's like an everyday example that the <clears throat> listeners might be able to connect with and be like, oh, wait, I do something like that. Like... I think like even small judgments, like walking through the grocery store and you see, um, you know, a, a mom, um, I don't know, allowing her kid to put a whole bunch of horrible snacks in the car, or I don't know, or smacking her kid around or something. And you're like, that is a bad mother, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we have no idea who she is. We have no idea what's going on in that situation. And um, to judge someone's entire identity based around one flaw that we see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and label them. Yeah. And then I, I think that's just a tricky path to go down because once you start labeling those things, maybe you notice mm -hmm. trends or perceive trends. Maybe the trends aren't even there, but because you've already established these little things, you automatically try and find them. Mm -hmm. The confirmation bias. You yeah. try and find yeah. things to support uh, the labels that you're attaching to people and the, the groupings that you're coming up with. Exactly. Right? To confirm like, oh, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm figuring this thing out yeah i think we do that to ourselves too too much 
uh, we label ourselves and put ourselves in boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when I first tore my knee, the mm-hmm. first ACL tear that I had, um, my identity was completely wrapped up in the idea that I was an athlete. I was someone who was a competitive. I was physical. I connected with who I was physically, and that was who I was. And then all of a sudden, my knee is uh, blown out completely, and I can't do anything physically anymore. And so my identity, who I thought I was, was smashed. Um, and I b- became really depressed, got back into substance abuse because of it, and um, had to learn the hard way that I am multifaceted, that I have multiple pieces of who I am that make up my identity, that it's not just my athletic self, not just my physical body. Um, and it took me down a long, hard road to be be able to figure that out for myself. And now I teach that to, to my clients too, so they don't have to make the same mistake I did. Yeah. Um, but I think we label ourselves too narrowly, whereas in the past I labeled myself as just an athlete. Now um, I know that I am a husband. I'm a dog owner, you know, I'm a friend, I'm a brother, I'm going to be a student again soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a martial artist, I'm a creator, I'm a podcast host, I'm all these things, right? And there's some safety in that, you yeah. know, um, that if one of those things get taken away all of a sudden, well, it doesn't completely shatter my worldview of who I am. I have all these other things that I am too, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's, a it's, I think it's it's a more productive way to go through life, you know, to to not keep yourself in a box, to not label yourself based on your job or your degree or who your parents told you you're supposed to be um, or who society tells you to be, right? Um, but to branch out and, and really explore. Yeah, exactly. That's one of my favorite things is just learning new hobbies, learning about new areas. Didn't you say you had a, a new hobby that you just recently got? Oh, yeah. I've just started uh, buying a new board game every month. Nice. It's kind of weird, but I don't know. It's I think it's a really great way to interact with people because once you give someone a task, a lot of their barri- barriers come down. Mm. It's the same thing with, with uh, personal training. Once you get them doing an exercise, then they'll start kind of, oh, yeah, this is fine. Um, so I think that's interesting. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but... Do you get your games from the coffee shop down the street? I have, yeah. Yeah, they have that uh, those really good deals on, on used games. Yeah, they do. So It's pretty good. Nice. So I want to ask you, uh, you know, more in the realm of um, physical training, because mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated. You know, I've done a lot of studying on my own. I'm not certified. I actually looked into um, uh, NASW, right, certification, something like that, one of the... There's NASM. There's yeah, that's what it was. NASM. Na- it was okay. a NASM certification. It was an online course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a free course, but I just never went through it. Uh, yeah, I printed out the whole workbook. It's like three inches thick. Um, yeah, so I still have it to study on my own. But I've always been interested in um, training methodology, mm-hmm. um, efficiency of training. Um, I've heard you know because back in the day it was like you put in. As many hours in the gym as you can, and you're going to get good results. Yeah. Nowadays, it's more like, especially um, getting older and breaking down a little bit more, it's more about training smarter rather than harder, making the most out of your time in the gym as opposed to just grinding it out for hours and hours and hours. But, you know, um, my, my first MMA coach told me you should never 
you have no reason to spend any more than an hour in the weight gym. You should be able to get a totally sufficient burnout workout in an hour. Oh yeah. And so I want to ask you about training methodology because uh, you're well more you're way more versed in it uh, than I am. And I first want to hear just what what is your general philosophy to training um, when you when you meet with a client um, mm-hmm. like someone like myself. So someone who has basic fitness already covered. Yeah. Um, someone with really clear goals. Um, not just a recreational exerciser. What? How do you, how do you put that together? And what is your philosophy that goes into that? Well, you two are actually really easy clients to work with because of your foundation. Mm-hmm. So, for more general clients that want to learn how to work out, my main concern is just get them moving. Um, and I think that's maybe kind of a mindset that I haven't necessarily taken from, but I've kind of adapted from Ido Portal. Mm-hmm. is thinking a lot more generally about things. So tell the listeners who Ido Portal is. So Ido Portal is a, well, he trained uh, McGregor for movement training. He's a quote-unquote movement specialist. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a really just kind of interesting training methodology where it's a lot of locomotion and crawling and a lot of uh, calisthenics and body weight-based exercises for what he likes to say is like longevity and continuous motor learning and stuff like that. Um, so and, what I'm, and that's also helpful not only for physical development and things like balance and, and focus, but also for um, neuromuscular development, right? Connections yeah. between the electrical firing systems mm-hmm. and the muscles, as well as um, uh, like muscle me- uh, mental memory of muscle, right? Yeah. So there's a couple things going on there. Um, you can boil it down to just coordination, mm-hmm. but it does improve the neural firing and the neural junction to the um, to the muscle. You get more efficient. Um, so that's actually when you see a lot of, when you begin exercising, when you see a lot of progress, maybe it's just basic strength. Um, most of that's just neural firing and being more efficient at your nerves calling upon the muscles to act. It isn't necessarily you have more muscle or more muscle mass. Your nerves are just better now. Um, so you're, you're making more efficient use of the muscles you already have. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it also ties into a lot of motor learning and just physical activity in general releases a BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is coined and termed as the miracle grow of the brain. Mm-hmm. And that's just a – it helps neural junctions exist and proliferate. That's fantastic. Um, that's another aspect that – I don't think is emphasized enough, but is crucial in any sort of physical pursuit is the mind-body connection. Yep. So the connection between the thought that you have to move the muscle and the actual muscle firing, um, that connection, if it can be strengthened, I mean, that's 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 a golden ticket. That's a golden key right there. You know, being able to strengthen that, and I think a lot of people don't focus on the mind-body connection. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot of what I do in my work with sport and performance psychology is helping people first learn what that is Mm -hmm. right be aware that they have that and then helping them to develop the capacities to gain more control over those pathways between mind body and speed things up or slow things down if you need to slow down the firing right during like uh, panic attacks anxiety attacks things like that um that's that's fascinating i've also seen ito portal do balance things like um having them balance on like uh chain link fence oh yeah like like balancing beam type stuff too Mm -hmm. um i'm glad we don't do any of that stuff because (laughs) i would be horrible at it but you've been enjoying that kind of stuff right kelly the the movement stuff that we do 
Um, you mean like with Galen? Yeah. Um, yeah, like a lot of it's pretty cool. I know there's a few that make my knee want to like fall off. Hmm. Um, just because they're not movements that I normally make, Mm -hmm. which is also very interesting because like, clearly if I made these movements more, it'd be beneficial because it wouldn't hurt my knee as much. I may have more flexibility, but it's not something that we do in our daily lives, which Mm -hmm. is kind of weird to think about. Like our body are, our bodies are capable of so much more, but we just don't think that way because we live a vastly different life than we would have like a hundred years ago. Or um, if we were even a thousand years ago, we just have all these capabilities to move certain ways that we're just slowly losing evolutionarily because we don't use them anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. that's my thoughts on that. I really value the the movement stuff that we incorporate in there. So going back to the question, yeah. your general philosophy, um, first it's for non-exercisers, just get them moving. Yep. Okay. And then, then you can kind of break it down from there. Um, so for you, you have a lot of, you know, obviously the jujitsu stuff. Um, so for you, I kind of early on really prioritized a lot of just hip mobility and hip strength just because that is kind of the powerhouse for a lot of moves. Um, and then, of course, it would be it would be foolish for me, I think, to drill a lot of like agility footwork drills because, you know, you're never going to be running a full line. Mm-hmm. So what can I do from there to kind of pare that down think more generally what is it that you do what's the goal what's the task what are the movements involved in that and how do I kind of sequence those movements into the workout mm-hmm. um, so recently we've been doing a lot of just basic resistance and strength training which is always good but and rehab stuff. yeah and we've rehab a lot stuff. of rehabbing um, tendonitis type injuries and knee injuries yeah with uh, more physical therapy type stuff mm-hmm. yeah but I guess easily to break it down, um, when I'm writing a workout for clients, just general clients, um, I usually just start with a blank piece of printer paper. That's what I like the most. And then in one corner, I'll, I'll write like three to five goals. And then from there, write a basic warm up. And with warm ups, I usually like to prioritize warm up the spinal column, um, warm up the nervous system. And there's a couple different ways you can do that. And it means a couple different things. You can either do Footwork and agility drills and balance drills are really great to just get the neurons firing, um, primed rather. Or you can just do basic exercises that will just kind of get the muscles that you want to target for that workout turned on. So if you're going to be doing a lot of hip movements, a lot of leg movements, a lot of squats, stuff like that, you know, do some glute bridges, some static holds. Um, planks are really great because it'll just turn your core on and then it'll be easier for you to call upon that for the rest of the workout. So that's usually how I prime uh, or program the uh, the warm-up. And then the workout um, is kind of a balancing act, I think, for personal trainers is you have to find something that they enjoy enough and that sucks enough because obviously everyone would just enjoy holding child's pose, mm-hmm. you know, for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what can we do if we're working flexibility and mobility to work in a little bit more strength? So maybe holding bridges, something like that. Um, and then you can extend that even farther into resistance exercise. Like I have one client that really, really loves hard lifting and a lot of her goals revolve around body recomposition, but she hates kettlebell swings. Mm-hmm. And I think kettlebell swings are great for her girl, for her overall goals. So I'll give her all the like, just kind of meat heady lifting and then superset 
kettlebell swings in between everything else just to make sure that she's still getting that um, efficient use of her time to propel her towards her goals. Um, so that's pretty, I guess, general as far as I go. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I personally like to be as uh, well-rounded as mm-hmm. possible. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there with different goals than I do. There's, you know, I just saw this guy in the gym last night when we were out in there working out where his entire upper body was just swollen. He was huge. Yeah. But then I looked at his legs and they were like toothpicks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that would not be helpful in a street fight. You know, uh, one kick to that uh, shin or that leg and that upper body's useless, right? Yeah. So for me, um, and I think I got this from the martial arts probably, but I want to be as well-rounded as possible. Um, and so for me, for my lifting and for my general fitness and strength and conditioning, I like to incorporate a lot of different um, theories or, or methodologies in there. So I like to make sure I get my aerobic workout. I like mm-hmm. to make sure I get my anaerobic. I like to make sure I get my high intensity training. I like to make sure I get my, uh, muscle endurance, my muscle, uh, power and my muscle strength exercises in there. I like to make sure I get balance and flexibility specific things in there. Um, and make sure that I'm hitting all the, all the small stabilizer muscles that I need also to fire off the big muscles that I'm developing. Yeah. So how do you take all of those things and i think i mentioned this the other day too like the multiple planes of movement yeah too um how do you incorporate all the planes of movement and get get um you know programs that will you know hit all those all those aspects right because you don't want to be unbalanced Mm -hmm. in my opinion no absolutely i agree with all that um and that's probably one of the trickiest parts about programming um but really easy way to just do it is try to, you know, shoot for at least one movement in every single plane. Obviously, like we were talking about last night, the uh, transverse plane, I think that's what you were mm-hmm. asking about. That one's kind of hard to do. There's, mm-hmm. there's just, you have to get creative and you're not going to be doing a whole hour-long workout with a barbell, with dumbbells, with, you know, everything just in the transverse plane. I'm sure you could do it. But it might not be as efficient, and of course, if you do it in just that plane, it won't be as well-rounded. Now, can you, for our listeners who don't know what we're talking about as far as different planes of movement, uh, Mm -hmm. can you explain that to them? Yeah, so if you take the anatomical position, which is just standing upright with your palms facing forward, your arms down by your side, there are different planes, so there's the, oh goodness, (laughs) there's the transverse plane, which... uh, if you were to take just a sheet of glass, this is going to get grotesque, and just cut your lower body from your upper body. Like across um, the waist. Yeah, across the waist. That's that transverse plane. And then there is the sagittal plane and then the frontal plane. Um, so the sagittal plane would just be that same sheet of glass but going and cutting you in between your eyes, front to back. And then frontal would be taking right above and just cutting right in half of uh, your head. So you want to think about it like hot dog and hamburger style. There you go. So hot dog is the one that's between the eyes because it's splitting you open like a hot dog bun. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is when you're a hamburger bun and it splits you down like the middle of your entire body. Mm -hmm. So yeah, hot dog and hamburger. And then the transverse plane is is like side to side movement and Mm -hmm. forward and back movement and twisting movement. Not not forward and back. Not forward and back, no. But yeah, twisting and and then a little bit of side to side or... Side to side would probably be that okay. anterior, posterior. Um, yeah, and so 
if you think about it, we, we really operate a lot in the, in the sagittal plane. So, you know, most common exercises, this is just going to be a broad generalization of, of bros, but, you know, bicep curls, bench press, anything where you're operating your arms, you know, forward to back in just that one plane, um, we tend to get caught up in that and we spend a lot of our daily lives in that plane. Um, but say like an overhead press, that would be moving in that um, anterior posterior plane. Um, and then, like you said, twisting motions would be in that transverse plane. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you practice a lot of movements in just one plane or a lot of the same movements, your body is, is amazing in that it will get really efficient at those movements. But it's also the, the offside of that amazingness is that it's going to think all you do is stuff in those in those planes. Um, all you do is those same movements. So why why worry about or why prioritize anything else? Mm -hmm. So it's that classic use it or use it or lose it. Right. Um, so you're going to lose a lot of rotation. It's why uh, a lot of bodybuilders tend to lose a lot of shoulder mobility. It's because they're they're just you know curls press. They aren't necessarily trying to touch their back or the back of their head. Right. Um, They're not even working full mobility and range of motion. Yeah, not necessarily. A lot of them don't. Um, so, yeah, it's important to prioritize that. And like I, like I was about to get into is just a really basic rudimentary and a, a good way to practice that is just get that blank sheet of paper, write out the workout, try and find one exercise in each plane of motion, try and, you know, make it more than one, but creativity, stuff like that might get in the way. And then just number that off. Okay, do I have all those? Cool. Warm up. Am I warming up the spine? Am I warming up the nervous system? Heart rate accelerated, blood flow, mm -hmm. all that good. Okay, cool. Cool down. Just classic. Am I working a little bit of mobility or stretching out the muscles that I've worked? Yep. Cool. And I think that's a, that's just a decent structure. It isn't anything that I would say is like too crazy advanced. Mm -hmm. It's fairly robust. Mm -hmm. It'll get you to where you're going, and it doesn't require a whole lot of, you know, deeper, deeper intention behind it, like getting into how to train to specifically adhere to different metabolic systems. Right. So. Um, Callie's studying metabolisms right can, now. She can tell us all about that, more than I could probably. About any type of metabolism right now, I would hope I can, I can get through carbohydrate and lipid metabolism pretty good right now. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't, I know some about protein metabolism, but. Good old metabolism. Have you guys talked yet about um, different how different types of exercise affect metabolism? Um, we talk a lot about yeah. athletes versus obesity and how metabolisms function differently. So um, a big one is how athletes utilize fat compared to somebody who is obese. So we have a saying called the athlete's paradox. So in, if you ever look at it, like a steak, you'll see like there's marbling of fat mm, into a steak, right? Yummy. That's intermuscular fat, but there's also intramuscular fat, which is mu it's like little lipid droplets that exist inside your muscle cells. So when you have an obese person, that is incredibly damaging to them. Like it is hugely health risks. Um, but then you have athletes who can utilize those intramuscular lipid droplets to their benefit to such an extent that they can increase their endurance, they can last longer, 
Um, they can run farther, lift heavier because they're utilizing those lipid droplets in a way that an obese person cannot. Can so, a, can an obese person um, go from their status to like train their train their body to use those lipid? Uh, oh yeah, anybody could. Okay, but it it takes a lot of time, obviously, to go from obese to an endurance athlete, and there's way more, like, barriers beyond just, like, how do I lose the weight? Like, there's the mental barriers, Mm -hmm. there's socioeconomic barriers, there's all sorts of barriers that they would have to overcome to get to that point, but what we find really interesting about it is why it's so detrimental for an obese person to have these fat cells inside their muscle cells Whereas with an athlete, athlete, it's incredibly beneficial. So it's the exact same thing, but depending on what metabolism you're working with, it's damaging or it's beneficial. Hmm. So it's just, it's, a, it's cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, endurance athletes or athletes in general just have vastly different metabolisms than an average person or even an obese mm-hmm. person. So what do you think, uh, and tell me if you, if you don't, if you're not far enough into the semester yet, what do you think... Um, about the differences in philosophy with um, like eating habits for certain types of athletes, right? So bodybuilders traditionally have said like, I need to eat five to eight small meals a day. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, an endurance athlete or someone might eat one huge meal, you know, before Mm -hmm. before a competition. Um, You and I are on intermittent fasting 16 hours a day, every day, and then we limit ourselves to an eight hour eating window where we stuff all of our, um, you know, all of our uh, calories into that window. Yeah. What is, um, you know, I've heard theories of like, think of your metabolism as like a fire. You got to keep the fire stoked all day long to keep it burning. Versus, uh, you know, you don't want to smother it by throwing on a whole shit ton of logs all at once. Like, what is what is your take on it? Having this this education now. I think that it is incredibly individualized. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's not a blanket statement that exists that will accurately describe everybody's metabolism. It's impossible to do. It's an impossible mm-hmm. task. Um, and I love analogies about metabolism. My current one that I really, really enjoy is a squirrel analogy for mm-hmm. your metabolism. So um, if you think about a squirrel in the summertime, um, they're eating pretty constantly, but they're not hoarding food. So they find food, they eat it, they move along. They're not constantly searching out food to go and hide. But come wintertime, when food is not nearly as abundant, you keep you see them getting food and storing it. So if you think about your metabolism in this way, if you're eating fairly constantly, whether it be intermittent fasting, whether it be um, seven to eight small meals a day, whatever it is, your metabolism is constantly functioning because it's like, okay, I'm very consistently getting the food and the nutrients that I need. So as long as there's exercise matching what I'm eating, I have no reason to store this food as fat. There's a balance involved there. But then if you take somebody who, if you change a part of that equation to where like somebody might be exercising, but then they stop eating, they put their body in a point of restriction to where the metabolism starts to slow down because it's like, wait a second, I'm not getting enough energy to keep my body going. So when a person does eat, your metabolism is going to shift as much as it can into storing what you eat as fat in order to keep you going longer. So what's going to happen is it's going to start breaking down your muscle instead of fat cells to provide itself with energy. Because protein is a much richer source of energy. We, our bodies can do a lot with proteins, um, less so with fats, 
but um, that gets into a lot of really crazy shit that I'm sure is going to make people's like <laughs> eyes cross and they're going to fall off. But the the grand scheme of it is is like this is why crash diets and bad diets are really really damaging to people is because it's unnecessarily restrictive. It causes people to cut out entire macronutrients like carbohydrates. Apparently, carbohydrates are the demon of the nutrition world right now. And what that boils down to is people are like, um, it's not essential. However, the saying goes, fat burns in a carbohydrate flame. And the reason why is fat donates fatty acids, little fat, little fat squiggly tails that we can use for energy. However, our lipid, our liver is the one that's responsible for creating ketones as energy source, except our liver can't use ketones. Everything else in our body can use ketones for energy. Our livers cannot. The only thing our livers can use for energy is glucose. So if you cut out carbohydrates entirely, you will die. Like, it might take some time, but you're going to die. Because your liver cannot function without that. So that's why they're always saying make sure you're eating a balanced diet. Make sure you're including all the macronutrients because our bodies work in a very, very intricate balance of maintaining all these different systems. So without that, you're gonna end up slowing down your metabolism every single time that you fad diet, every single time that you crash diet, every single time you restrict your diet. Your metabolism is gonna keep slowing down and down and down, and it's gonna keep storing everything you eat as fat, mm -hmm. and it's gonna keep ripping apart your muscles for energy. You were telling me too that that, that could probably um, happen more rapidly with like uh, athletes who have to cut weight mm -hmm. for their sports right so if you're constantly cutting weight like five six times a year for competition mm -hmm. every time you cut weight your metabolism uh it's re-emphasized in that in that system like hey we got a store we got a yeah. store we got a store so you're doing yourself a disservice every time you cut weight because every yeah. time your body uh, gets more willing to store fat after yeah that. and it, it slows it down so that is a huge problem, which is why on this last weight cut, I basically had you eating right up until the night before. And you still made weight. It was fine. That was great. I'm I could sure eat <laughs> chicken wings the week of weigh-ins. It was amazing. I mean, to be fair, though, you were freaking out the entire time. You're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be able right. to make weight. It was totally different from, from what I had done my whole life, yeah. which is the old school crash diet, wrestling, mm -hmm. dehydration. Yourself. Yeah. But Callie, I, you know, I put my trust in you, and you, <laughs> you did it for me, and we made it. Yeah. Um, but I felt much stronger um, using your method. Well, and that has more probably to do with just hydration levels. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people will cut out all, they'll stop, they'll restrict their food entirely. I'm sure Galen has seen this too. So they'll restrict yep. their food entirely. And then they'll start to dehydrate themselves to lose um, weight. So what's happening at that point is your body's not burning fat when you stop eating. It actually keeps the fat on. It starts shredding your muscles mm -hmm. as a way to get energy going. Um, so what ends up happening is you have these people who've cut weight and they're walking into competition with less muscle than when they started cutting weight, more fat than when they started cutting weight. And their brain, which is basically surrounded by this beautiful fluid that prevents you from getting brain damage and it's diminished. So you're more likely to get concussions. And the brain functions off of glucose. So if you're glucose can, deprived it, too, you can't even problem solve. It can the run fight. off ketones. Okay. It can. I mean, and there's some evidence that states that our brains might function better off of ketones oh. than it does glucose. Um, but when you're, it's it's a weird thing. 
like your brain can run off ketones, but it's the fluid that surrounds the brain mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. So when you're going into competition, especially like MMA and you're dehydrated and somebody punches you in the head, your brain's going to be rattling around because there's not enough fluid in there to cushion it like it normally would, which is why you see these older MMA fighters having yeah. issues with traumatic brain injuries and losing memory and cognition, and it's awful, but that's, that's the culture around um, the sports and cutting weight and everything, so which is really hard for me to watch, having a husband who's like really into these sports and watching him cut weight was pretty awful, which is why this last time I was like, no, you're doing it my way. Um, so for any of the athletes listening to this particular podcast, um, please consider seeing a dietitian for your next weight cut so that you can actually eat all the way up until your fight and stay yeah. hydrated and smash the competition with way more efficiency than you would have if you just got into a sweatsuit and rode a bike for three hours. So Right, train smarter, not harder. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or train smart and harder and have greater results than you would have if you had just trained harder and not smarter. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So that's, that's my little spiel. That's my nutrition spiel that I get on us. constantly. Fantastic. Thanks for so, enlightening us up yeah. to that. Um, Galen, I, I want to ask you another question too, because you were talking about um, when you plan workouts, you, you part of the workout is getting the nervous system firing. Yeah. Right. Um, and that that sparked a, a question of mine. You know, for someone like myself in a performance sport um, who needs fast nervous system firing, right? A sympathetic, mm -hmm. parasympathetic nervous system, um, or for someone like I don't know, I. I always wanted to be a Navy SEAL growing up, yeah. <clears throat> and so I still kind of hold myself to standards that I think um, they would hold themselves to as well, physically, fitness-wise. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, someone on a on a mission or something going into a, into a situation where you're doing close combat, um, going through a house, clearing a house, whatever, your nervous system is firing so fast. Uh, your response time, your your eye hand coordination, everything is so fast, um, and the military trains that very well. In yeah. People, how would someone like myself, who's not in the military, who also wants that? It's almost like a superpower mm -hmm. that you have inside yourself. It just needs to be unlocked. You know, we all have that that firing capability, mm -hmm. and I think that that's trainable. How would you train um, nervous system stuff in in the everyday person or in an athlete? That's an excellent question. Yeah. Um, so I'm by no means an expert at any of this, but a couple different things that come to mind. Um, I mean, just like as you were describing that, um, just the classic, I guess, kind of scene of like a boxer in the locker, locker room just kind of shadow boxing it out before his fight. That comes to mind. So that's, you know, pretty simply just stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Training your body to, at just a moment's notice, completely behave exactly how you want it to do so already you probably have a decently firing nervous system just from all the brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff um there is that really interesting guy uh wim hoff mm -hmm. who has they've done studies on him um has like complete control over his phrenic nerve um from just doing breathing training and i've, I've messed around with that uh a little bit myself and um 
what I thought was interesting was the response to cold water and how I guess I rationalized it in my mind just with my bachelor's degree of knowledge, um, <laughs> whatever that accounts for, um, is when you, when you dunk yourself in cold water or you turn on the shower super cold, what's your first reaction? <gasps> you go like that and then you lose control of your breathing. And so that's kind of where that is when you start to really focus and hone in on how your breath functions in that time of, you know, what is a physiological, physio yeah, physiological stressful moment, um, you start to kind of regain control of what's going on. Maybe that's just a, a focus thing, mm -hmm. which could probably tie into some psychology stuff is just tying it back to breathing. Maybe it's, you know, the same thing that's going on with Tai Chi is you have to be really mindful about what's going on. Um, yeah, so I guess from my knowledge base, that's all that comes to mind is just try to emphasize control over what normally is something you don't even think about, mm -hmm. right? And it gets uncomfortable when you start thinking about how you're breathing, right? Because mm -hmm. then you're like, oh God, is this right? It's just, <laughs> it just happens. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of. Okay, so are there any like nervous system improvements um, like by training things like high intensity training mm -hmm. or um, carrying really heavy loads or things like that? And I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something similar or akin to like how someone would increase their VO2 max. Oh. Right? Like it's very uh, well studied that we could increase our VO2 max by pushing ourselves, pushing our cardio harder and harder and harder mm -hmm. uh, every time, reaching new capacities, breaking down, you know, through the second and third wall, um, you know, getting past the runner's high and, and doing all that and training that. How, how would you get those sort of um, physiological increases in the nervous system through uh, training, through weight training? Yeah. Um, well, just inherently just doing it. Um, Explosive movements, things like that. Yeah, that'll that'll get you. Um, well, there's a couple different things I guess you could go into. Um, explosive will really get you good at drawing upon really quick power. Mm -hmm. I also think that taking it nice and slow, focusing on the eccentric portions of the contraction, will just focus on hey, you really need to you know keep this muscle strength up, contract that muscle strength, um, and that ties again back into the mind muscle connection that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Is just really taking control um bottom line like this is my muscle it listens to me um a couple other drills that i've i've heard about that i think are interesting is uh kind of like a strongman and powerlifting thing is before they do a set and this is kind of counterintuitive is one of their warm-up sets will be at a weight that is above their max and they'll go for a negative hmm and so just, or maybe they'll even like load up the squat bar, unrack it, and just hold it there for a little bit. Rack it back, strip some of the weight back to their normal working weight, and they'll feel a lot more comfortable because it just feels lighter at that point because the standard has been set so high. Um, I was actually doing that. I was doing uh, squats with resistance bands on the bar this past week. And as soon as I took them off, I was like, oh my God, like this is amazing how much more like efficient I feel for what's normally my working weight. Um, so a lot of that can, I think, can be attributed to nervous system functioning. Nice. Um, and Callie, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this too from a nutrition standpoint. Um, is there anything... 
that we can do in our diets or supplementation or anything like that to improve um, electrical firing in our in, in our nervous system things that we can um, you know I've heard things about acidic versus alkaline environments um, so dumb. some you know I know that water carries um, it's a conduit for electricity so probably the more hydration the faster the uh, the firing uh, in the neural system but from from your perspective are there things that we can eat or or changes we can make to our daily diet that can improve um, overall functioning in that way well, there's been a lot of really interesting studies into vitamin D status right now. So um, for people who don't know, whenever you look at the nutrition label, at the very bottom of the nutrition label, there's like four vitamins and minerals down there. Um, and it used to be vitamin A, vitamin C, calcium, and iron. But recently they've changed it um, because the reason they picked out those four to begin with was because that's what the general population was most deficient in at the time. So recently, they've decided to add vitamin D onto that list and change it out with something else that was on there, and I don't remember what it was. Because most of the population now is deficient in vitamin D, and so there's been a lot of studies, especially in athletes, about how low vitamin D status is causing a higher incidence of injuries, especially uh, lower body injuries and core injuries. Um, like ACL ruptures. Is, I saw an, an article, it was, it was linked to ACL rupture, right? Yeah. So vitamin D has this, it, and it's not entirely clear yet, so we need more research, we need more data surrounding how this works. But vitamin D apparently is very, very important to maintaining an injury-free life. Um, so they're adding it into nutrition labels so that people are more aware of their vitamin e t D intake. With that being said, we can only get about 50% of our vitamin D daily value from dietary sources. The other 50% needs to come from the sun. And most people don't even get 50% from their diet, do they? Uh, no, not really. Vitamin D is actually kind of difficult to get in our diet. Mushrooms would probably be the easiest way, but not all mushrooms have vitamin D in them. So one of the ways that you can actually get vitamin D into your mushrooms, fun fact, is set it out in the sunlight for about 30 minutes before you cook them and it increases their vitamin D. Uh, so that is one really great way to get it, which is weird because when you think about mushrooms can grow in dark, damp places, mm -hmm. but if you put them out in the sun, they absorb that vitamin D and then you can eat them. Cooking hack. Yeah, cooking hack. <laughs> um, there's a lot of other places to get vitamin D, but I think the, the simplest way right now for a lot of people is to supplement it, which comes with its own challenges because we're less likely to absorb vitamins and minerals coming from a supplement source than we are from dietary sources. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I think if athletes or anybody's looking to increase their performance, it would be worth it to get a panel done of your blood work to see if you're deficient in any vitamins and minerals because that is going to help inform your diet better to see what you can be doing to increase these vitamins and minerals that you may be deficient in. And one of the big ones that we're running into again is um, B vitamin deficiencies because mm -hmm. people have stopped eating bread because once again, gluten and carbohydrates are the devil, I guess. I don't know how that got started, but it's Atkins. so sad. So um, <laughs> the thing about breads, whole grains, is they are super rich sources of the first three B vitamins. Um, it's like thiamine, riboflavin, um, and niacin. Those are the first three B vitamins. And those are present in almost all whole grains. When you don't have, when you're deficient in these, your hair starts to fall out. 
you start getting rashes on your body. You get what looks like um, herpes sores on your mouth. It's pretty disgusting. And people have been known to die from these particular deficiencies. So for the love of God, eat some whole grains. Mm -hmm. um, because we all love our hair. We all love having clear skin. And we all love not having herpes sores mm -hmm. on our face. So um, that's a big one that's starting to reappear with this carbohydrate, gluten-free craze that's happening. Um, so vitamin D and B vitamins is where it's at right now. Uh, you, like I said, you can supplement them or you could just, you know, eat mm -hmm. them, which is, any, is awesome. Is there any research, though, on improving, um, like, the neuroelectrical signals or neurochemical signaling in, in the body and things that do that? It's, I, I mean, it's interesting... Diet has been studied in things like Parkinson's, mm -hmm. where you're having issues with neural signaling. Um, it's really, I, as far as I know, and which isn't a lot because I'm just at a bachelor's level of education, so which basically not a whole lot of education. Um, there isn't a whole lot going into normal people's electrical signaling because it's really hard to justify doing human studies when they might not even have anything wrong. How are you going to justify, I might screw up their like electrical signaling system with this experiment, or I might not, who knows. Um, so when they're studying people with Parkinson's, it's because they're trying to improve mm -hmm. their life in some way. Improving a deficiency. Yeah. Rather so, than um, improving on a, what's already a, there. Right, a normal baseline. Yeah. So that would be more difficult. It'd be really cool to see that. Mm -hmm. But in any of these vitamin deficiencies, the reason I brought them up is because a lot of them are coenzymes, mm -hmm. which in order to run our metabolism, in order to have proper neurotransmitter transmitter signaling, you have to have these coenzymes in your body. You have to. So if you start running deficient, things are going to go wrong. Electrical signaling, your hair is going to fall out. Um, you're going to screw up your ACL. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's super important to eat a balanced diet because without those things electrical signaling and everything's mm -hmm. just going to start going haywire so i in my limited knowledge too of, of physiology um i know that myelination um yep. around um dendrites of nervous nerve cells um that the myelination or, or it's it's like this coating around um the axon where the electrical signal fires right mm -hmm. And um, that if that myelination is healthy and, and it's, I think it's been actually sh uh, shown that the greater the myelination over the axon, the, um, the stronger the electrical signaling is because of like the, you can think of it as like insulated um, cable, mm -hmm. right? Uh, electrical cable. The more insulated it is, the, uh, the less interference it has from outside sources yeah. on its electrical current. So, um, and if that myelination starts to, degenerate uh, the firing gets less so so things like muscular dystrophy muscular um, sclerosis things like that where the where it starts to degenerate are there foods are there nutrition um, implications or supplementation that we can do to increase myelination in some of those nervous cells unfortunately not right now just because when you think about the production of myelin sheath that's like a cascade that's like a gene transcription cascade. Mm -hmm. So something has to be present to tell the gene to start transcribing the protein that will then tell the cell to make more myelin sheath. So there's no, there's no way to eat a food to say, I want more myelin sheath, what should I eat? Mm. Because it's a, it's a gene transcription mm -hmm. cascade. So there's, so, no, there's no precursors no. Um, that lead to... I mean, to... if you're not eating any fat in your diet, like me... <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, at that point, your myelin sheets are going to be the last thing to go because you're going to have much greater problems if you stop eating fat entirely. So a fat-deficient diet will, will create more myelin um, degeneration. Uh, after the rest of your body is dying, yeah. yeah. I think that's. I think myelin sheets will probably be the last thing to go, but at that point, you've probably lost all the fat around your intestines or around your uh, vital organs, and you're going to die. So people um, who follow the low-fat diet for long periods of time probably have reduced cognitive functioning... Um, if they've been focusing on cutting out fats for like 10 years. If you cut out any macronutrient, you're going to yeah. have problems, whether if you cut out proteins, yeah. which um, would be a bigger problem for cognitive functioning if you stopped eating proteins. Yeah. Um, because we can, there's a whole lot of weird metabolism hacks where we can create fats from proteins and proteins from fats and carbohydrates can be made into fats. And it's, it's wild mm-hmm. what our bodies are capable of doing. Um, however, in the grand scheme of things, all I can continue to say is please eat all three <laughs> macronutrients and try to get a complete source of vitamins and minerals because that's what's going to help you function optimally. I don't know that there is any hack out there, any food that you can eat to make you smarter. There is no such thing as a superfood because if there was such a thing as a superfood, we'd all be eating it and we'd all be superhumans by now. Mm-hmm. But that has never happened in the history of superfoods. Yeah. So just remember, well-balanced Diets are the way to go. Mm-hmm. And eat your protein, get some gains. <laughs> and okay. then on Friday, Galen said, let there be let gains. Let there be gains. Yeah, let there be gains. Um, so, Galen, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for today. having me. And Callie, thank you for joining me again on the podcast. Yay. Uh, it was great having you back. Um, I want to, uh, before I, I, I forget, I want to remind all of our listeners that uh, if you're listening to this uh, right after it came out and you happen to live in the Denver area, um, please be aware and get out to vote in early May. Um, there is an initiative on the Denver uh, ballot this May where people are going to be voting to decriminalize uh, psilocybin or magic mushrooms. Um, please, please, if you are listening from Denver, get out and vote and help us pass this initiative. Uh, this is a great medicine that has unfortunately uh, been prohibited uh, in our culture and shouldn't have been. It's been in our um, it's been in our wheelhouse as human beings for many, many thousands of years and only recently been prohibited and is uh, is a much needed medicine. We need this reemergence. So please get out and and get voting. I want to remind all of our listeners that we are sponsored by MindOps, my private practice counseling and consulting company. Reach out to us at mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. That's also where you can leave us questions or comments for myself or my guests, and I will get back to you. Um, Please donate to the podcast if you find the information useful, and of course, like and share. Also, check out our YouTube page, the MindOps YouTube page. And uh, Galen, if... if, um, if people want more information about some of the stuff we've been talking about today, what are some uh, quick uh, resources or websites that people can go to? Shoot. Um, I like xrx.net a lot. Um, that's The user interface isn't the best, but if you go down the rabbit hole, there's plenty of information on there. Um, please take everything you see on the internet with a grain of salt. A lot of Instagram right. stuff out there is not real. Um, but I do think the internet and... YouTube, a really great use uh, resource. I've used a lot of the stuff on there to 
bolster my own knowledge over the years. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and Callie, uh, if you could name off some, some good resources online for people if they're more interested in, in going and seeing what the real research on nutrition, uh, maybe metabolism, what, what are some good places people can go? I would say you should look at, you can just Google uh, Healthy People 2020. It takes you to government websites, shows you how to properly structure your meals with macronutrients. It has recipes. It links you to studies that you can go and read. So just Google Healthy People 2020. They update it every five years with new goals for the population. Nice. Well, thanks again, guys. And thank you to the dogs for your contribution today, too. You guys uh, made your presence known for sure on the podcast. Thanks to all our listeners, and we'll see you next time. This is Shane LeMaster signing off for Conversations of the Mind.